You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Well, uh, today we're continuing uh, part three of a series that we're calling Differently. And so as we get started today, I wonder if you've encountered any of these situations before ever in your life. How about this? A long checkout line of rude people at Walmart due to a slow cashier or not enough lanes being open. Come on, Walmart. All right. And of course, you were in a hurry. An annoying classmate that got put in your group at school and didn't carry their load. An overbearing boss who presses your buttons every day. A classroom full of disrespectful students that you've been called to teach, a lazy coworker who got at, who you got asked to train and lead, a disobedient child who continues to rebel against your parenting, a degrading social media post indirectly aimed at you, a, dir- a difficult spouse who doesn't seem to have a clue. No elbows thrown. Chances are we've all encountered a situation like that, one of those, or many situations like that at some point in our life. But here's the question for all of us today. How did you respond? How did you respond? See, today we're continuing a series called Differently. And in this uh, message today, we're going to look at the truth that in our world, we will, not if, but when, we will encounter difficult people, difficult situations, difficult scenarios. But today I want to address it from this angle How will we respond? How will the people of God called to live for the purposes of God respond to a fallen world around us? So if you have a copy of scripture, open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. In this series, we're walking through some uh, main passages in 1 Peter. If you've got a hard copy of Scripture, it's towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament. If you've got a digital copy, towards the bottom of the scroll. Uh, but man, we'd love for you just to kind of have a copy of Scripture, maybe a place to take notes there as you uh, engage with us from home today, so that you can take what God teaches you today and not just hear it, but become a doer of the Word as we walk out today. Um, First Peter is a book that reminds us, we've said over the last couple of weeks, that this earth is not our what? Home. Good. We got five people who've been listening the last two weeks. The rest of you, thanks for being here. Hey, uh, this earth is not our home. Peter says that. He says, hey, we're just passing through. It's like a temporary overnight stay at the hotel. This is not where you reside. And so what Peter tells these believers and what he says to us is, because it's not your home, because you don't belong here, you're called to live differently while you are here. And so today he's going to charge us to live differently through the way that we respond. So we're going to read some verses from 1 Peter chapter 3 today. And for all my note takers all right, who are trying to not just be hearers but doers of the word, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three different ways all right, that I believe God's word calls us to respond differently. Okay, that's, that's your heading. Three different ways that we're called to respond differently. I'll just be uh, up front with you. We got a lot of word today. Okay, there's a lot of word. So you may just want to like write down references. We'll put the verses on the screen. Track along with us as we walk through scripture together. Now let's pick up in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read two verses we actually read at the end of last week, but I want them to kick us off uh, for today. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. Here's what Peter writes. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, in these first set of verses, Peter starts 
outlining what our first response, we're going to respond differently. What's our first response? And it's this, is to respond with unconditional love. Okay, so that's what you write down. Respond with unconditional love. Now, in verse 8, Peter clarifies who he's writing to. He says, all of you. In other words, everybody, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, what Peter's about to write, there's no bailout for you. There's no like asterisk, like I'm, no, but I'm different. No, he says, all of you. If you're committed to being a follower of Jesus, then all of the things I'm about to list, Peter says, they apply to you and they apply to me. Now, here's what he begins to do is he lays out underneath this call to respond with unconditional love. He kind of lays out, if we're note takers, like five sub points, five things that should be characteristics of our life if we're going to respond with unconditional love, okay? And, And I'm not saying we're all going five for five on these. These are pretty difficult, but let's walk through them together. He says, these things should be true of your life. First, he says, be like minded. All right, or your version may say be of one mind or be harmonious. Now, this idea of like-minded implies this. Here's where the foundation. Cooperation even when there are individual differences. Cooperation even when there are individual differences. Here's how Paul would say it, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceded. Paul says, as believers, as the church, we're called to promote harmony in our relationships. Now, this doesn't mean that we will always agree on all topics, but it says that we're called to live for a common purpose. Here's what Paul would later write, Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Verse six, here it is. So that with one mind and one voice, one, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's word says, choose to be like-minded because you are living for a one purpose, which means you may not, you still may not see eye to eye on every topic, but you pursue this unity. You pursue this like-mindedness because you have this purpose of glorifying God and lifting up the name of Jesus. So what does that mean practically? Well, I believe it means that we could disagree with someone's parenting style. We may not like the way that so-and-so manages their money. We may not like the, the work ethic that they have, the music that they listen to. We may disagree with their political views. We may not like the football team that they like because their football team beat our football team. But it means that we still pursue unity and like-mindedness because we carry a greater eternal purpose. How you treat people when they disagree with you is one of the greatest revealers of the condition of your heart. Let me put that on repeat. How you treat people when they disagree with you is one of the greatest revealers of the condition of your heart. So Peter says, pursue harmony with that family member. That one? Mm Mm-hmm, that one. Pursue Pursue harmony with that coworker with that church member, with that classmate. Why? Because you are pursuing the purpose of living in unity and harmony as we live differently. He says, be like-minded. Secondly, he says, be sympathetic. 
Now, this idea of sympathetic um, means to share in the feelings of others, not just by carrying from a distance. All right, I'll pray for you. Okay, but it means literally to carry one another's burdens. Here's how Paul says it. Um, Galatians chapter six, verse two, he makes it so clear. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Man, it has been a beautiful picture over the last eight plus years as God has built our family from seven people in a living room to hundreds of people that gather now each weekend to watch people literally carry one another's burdens. I'm talking about to give of their money, their stuff, their time, their energy, their spiritual capacity to pour into the lives of others so that they might live this out, to carry each other's burden. I believe it's the beautiful picture that Peter and scripture call us to here, to be sympathetic and carry one another's burdens. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. He talks about the body of Christ, the church. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's sympathy. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So here's a, here's a practical question for you and me to wrestle with today. Whose burden in our spiritual family, or whatever spiritual family you're connected to, whose burden are you helping carry right now? And if you go, no one, then I would charge you to engage someone's life on a deeper level. And if you go, well, I don't really want to carry anybody else's burden. I got enough junk of my own that I would say to you that, at that point, you question who's on the throne of my life. Because as we look at what scripture teaches, as we look at what Jesus modeled and the burden that he carried for you and me, he calls us to be like-minded and to be sympathetic, to walk with one another in that. Number three, Peter says, love one another. All right, under this idea of respond with unconditional love. We love one another. Now, your version may say um, brotherly love. We're three chapters into 1 Peter, and three different times he's called this different, this unique way to love one another. Um, chapter 122, he said, have sincere love for one another. Chapter 2, verse 17, he wrote, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Now, let's be honest. You would think that love would be something that would just kind of like continually and automatically come out of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, right? Like that should just be a natural thing. But what Peter knew is what you and I know, that man, when disagreements come about, when tension rises, when flesh and emotions rear their head, he says, you ain't always going to choose love. And so he gives us this reminder. He says, no, it's an intentional choice of your life. As you respond, you must choose love. Romans 12, 10, look at what Paul said. He says, be devoted. That's a deep word. Like that's a commitment. That's a covenant. Be devoted to one another in love. And as you do so, honor one another above yourselves. I think it's so interesting to look at that verse there in Romans 12 that Paul put this kind of add on charge to honor one another on the same verse that he put to love one another. So I think we could read what Paul and Peter write and we could conclude that, man, when we honor someone above ourselves, we also are inclined to love them well too, right? And that's such an easy thing to say out loud and to amen, but ooh, it's a lot more difficult to live out, ain't it? Like husbands and wives, how, how are you doing at, um, at loving your spouse by honoring them above yourself, like placing their needs above your wants? I know that's a struggle for me. 
Or what about employee? How are you doing at, at loving your boss or your coworkers by honoring them, by placing them above yourselves? Or junior high, high school student, right? How are you doing at honoring or loving mom and dad or the authority in your life, whoever that is, coach, teacher, by, by placing them above yourselves? See, there's this call to love. And what Paul says, Peter says, is honor leads to love and love leads to honor. And both of those things should flow out of the life of a believer. That we would be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another. Next, Peter says, be compassionate. Be compassionate or be um, kind-hearted, as your version may read. To this idea of compassion, really kind of number four goes hand in hand with number two, sympathetic. So it's really the same thing in so many ways. It means that there's an intentional engagement with someone's life because of our deep feelings or connections with them. And it's not a rom romantic feeling necessarily, but it means that we're so moved by someone's need or their situation that we are moved to intentional action with them. That's compassion. It requires intentionality. And here's how Paul would write towards that in Ephesians 4.32. Look at this charge. He says, be kind and, there's our word, be kind and compassionate to one another. And look what he adds on to this verse, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, scripture is clear that one thing that compassion leads to forgiveness. And let's just be real. You don't forgive someone without being intentional towards that movement, right? Compassion will lead to forgiveness. Therefore, as believers, we're called to be intentional about the needs of others around us. Now, here's number five under this first idea. Peter says, be humble. Be humble. You notice all these things that he's calling out, these characteristics, they're so not about like you being better for you. And there's so much about how you live outside of yourself. Sympathy, love, compassion, and now humility. Um, and here's how Paul puts it, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, actually do nothing out of your own selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, there's our word, humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your interests, but each of you to the interest of others. See, the greatest enemy of unity and harmony within the body of believers or any relationship is self-ambition and pride. It'll kill it every time. Just try it out in your marriage. Just try it out in your life group relationship, in a, in a mentoring relationship, at your workplace. I mean, pride and self-ambition will kill it every time. So Peter says, choose humility. Not to think less of yourself, but to think about yourself less and others more. And he says, watch what happens when you begin to take that back seat to choose humility. Now, that's a pretty deep list, Peter, okay? Like-minded, sympathetic, love, compassion, humility. All that is heavy truth. And Peter says all those should flow out of the life of a believer if we're going to respond with unconditional love. If we're really into that, we really want to live differently. Those things come out of us. But then Peter takes a turn. He adds on something. You didn't catch it a while ago, probably. But we'll look back at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil with evil. 
or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this, you were actually called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do you hear that? Peter, not me, Peter said, you respond to evil with blessing. Now, as I read that this week, I'm like, Peter, it's enough that you listed all you did in verse eight. I'm not even five for five on that. And then you go up the ante to the point where you call me to respond to evil with blessing. Peter, who does that? And Peter says, you should. The church should. The people of God called to live for the purposes of God should live differently in such a way. But you know what? In scripture, Peter wasn't the only crazy one. Look at what Paul wrote. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Skip to verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. Overcome evil with good. See, God's word says, I know how the world responds to evil. We all know that. I know how your flesh wants to respond to evil. It would be so much easier just to cop an attitude and tell them a little bit of peace of your mind, right? But Paul says the fruit of a believer is none of those things. In fact, the command is to respond to evil with good, to repay evil with blessing. Um, Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe gives this quote. You'll see it on the screen. He says, as Christians, we can live on one of three levels. We can return evil for good, which is the satanic level. We can return good for good and evil for evil, which is the just normal human level. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. See, the only way to accurately reflect Jesus to the world around us and respond with unconditional love is to respond in this way. To not let it be dictated by preference or situation, but to respond to the love that's been given to us. And then God's word says, as you keep reading, he says, if you're going to choose to live differently or respond in this way, realize that what's happening is you're setting yourself up for a blessing that the world can't give, but it only comes from God. And then he outlines that blessing. If you keep reading, look back at verse 10, our passage, 1 Peter 3. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord... So interesting that he puts the face there. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter's right here. What he's doing is he's quoting an Old Testament passage from Psalm 34. And as he does it, we just read it right there. He says, there are four promises, four promises for those who choose, all right, to repay evil for blessing. Here's they are real fast. Verse 10, he says, they will find life to be gratifying. Not that they're always happy, but that there's a true joy that the world can't shake. Verse 10, he says, their days will be good. In other words, they'll be purpose-filled. Not always good, as Jonathan said earlier, that the world defines, but they will be good. They'll be purpose-filled. Verse 12, he says, God's eyes will ever be on them to bless them. 
not in the world's definition of blessing, but he will protect. He'll be a good father over them. And then verse 12, it says, God's ears will be ready to hear their prayer. When you pray, do you want God to hear your prayer? I do. And scripture says, when you learn to repay evil with blessing, when you learn to live and respond differently, that's the promise of God. See, God calls us, not only calls us to live with unconditional love in our relationship, but then he gives a promise. He's a good dad. He gives a promise on the other end of that for those who choose to walk in obedience. Now, three responses today. The first one is what? To respond with unconditional love. There was a lot of that. That's a whole sermon series right there. All right. But there's more. Go back with me. First Peter chapter three. We're going to go verses 13 through 17. Stay with me. Powerful words here that Peter writes. He says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Finally, verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, watch this, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And here's the second response for my note takers. The second response, if we're living differently, responding differently, is to respond with unwavering hope. That we respond with unconditional love, we respond with unwavering hope. Now remember who Peter's writing to, okay? People that were not on the mountaintop of life. These are people who are walking through deep persecution, Deep opposition. So he piggybacks on the things that he just put, right? Verse eight and nine. Like, wasn't that enough, Peter? And he says, well, here's what, what, what would happen? He starts to begin to ask, the, what, what would happen if you actually lived this out? Like, if it wasn't like what you read in the Bible at church on Sunday, but like you literally begin to make this a part of your life, the sympathetic, like-minded love for one another. He says, people don't typically harm people for doing good. Isn't that what he said in verse 13? He says, who's gonna harm someone for doing good? But some of us might go, but hold on, Peter, there he is. And, and he says, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to answer the just-in-case situation. What if someone was to harm someone for doing good? Well, what did he say? He said, you'll find a blessing. Here's what Jesus says, not Peter, but Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 10, look at it on the screen. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's word says in the face of opposition, in the midst of turmoil, continue to live differently, continue to walk in righteousness because there is an eternal reward waiting for you. And then I love the phrase that Peter put in verse 15. I don't know if you caught it. But he says, always be prepared to give an answer, all right, to everyone who asks you to give an answer for the reason of the hope in which you have. He says, come prepared. Like that you would have an answer. In other words, when you continually respond in this way to the negativity around you, there will come a point where the coworker, the neighbor, the family member looks at you and says, why do you keep responding that way? And Peter says, be locked and loaded with an answer. Have an answer for the hope 
in which you have. Now, before we talk about how we respond, let's define what is the hope, okay? Because our world throws that hope word around a lot. Biblically, there's a different definition of hope. Here's what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 points to is our hope. Look at it. But Christ is faithful, Jesus is faithful, as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If we're in him, we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and to the hope in which we glory. God's word says, world's broken, world's messed up, there will be tension and turmoil. There's one thing that won't change in that moment. No matter what the situation, there's one thing that won't change, and that's this, that Christ is faithful. He never changes. And that if you have put your faith and trust in him, then scripture says, Hebrews 3 says, you are his house. You're his dwelling. He's in you. He's with you. He fills you with his promises, fills you with his purposes. And that can't change no matter what the world presents to you. That's the hope that we cling to. Not some mystical, like warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's that confidence that Hebrews says that we claim to. So when that's true of us, here's, here's how it becomes different. Watch this. So when people ask you, what's different about you? Why don't you fire back on social media? Why don't you respond in this way when that coworker cuts you like that? You begin to answer differently. It's not, well, I just choose to think positive. Or, well, I just try not to let that, state, that stuff shake me. Or, I just, man, I'm just trying to stay on the straight and narrow. Okay, your response becomes different. Your response becomes, no, I have Christ in me, all right, and he never wavers in his love for me, and so therefore my response is different. He's the hope, he's the unshakable foundation that my life is on, and therefore it's just unwavering hope, man. It ain't me, it's him in me. Because if it was me, oh, I couldn't tell you how I would respond, but if it's him in me, oh, it is a firm foundation to respond on. But there is one key phrase, and there's a lot of verses, and we could stay in this a long time and unpack it, but there's one key verse or key phrase in verse 15 that was so powerful that we, we can't skirt around it. He says, Paul, Peter says, as you give your answer of hope and truth, here's what he says, do so with gentleness and respect. Do so with gentleness and respect. Let's uh, paint the picture this way. Have you ever been in, in a restaurant before? And uh, you were sitting down with friends or maybe it was family, okay, your favorite restaurant. And uh, they bring the food, you've ordered, they bring the food and the waitress comes and sets it down and they got it wrong. Anybody like, let's just bond together, okay? Anybody had their order got wrong before? Okay, some of you lying. Yes, you have, all right? All right, we, we've all had our order wrong before. It got delivered, okay? And so like, it's, we're not talking about like they put mayo when you don't want, want mayo. I'm talking about like you got somebody else's order, clearly not what you ordered, okay? It's that wrong, all right? And it's happened to all of us before. And, and like, you're already kind of fed up because it took a long time to get the food. Like, you don't even understand. Like, we're only at 50% capacity. Why can't we get the food a little faster? All right, I'm talking to somebody right now. And we get the food. We've already been perturbed. The waitress has got like, she's got a little bit of an attitude. She ain't popped a smile yet. And I know you can't see it behind the mask, but she's not smiling through her eyes either. And so you can tell all of this. And so finally, when she delivers the wrong food, what do you do? She comes back, all right? And I'm not saying you holler at her because that would be a scene. But you let her know how uh, frustrated you are that she ain't coming through. You let her know that her attitude hasn't really been pleasant from the moment you sat down and you about to pay the bill and tip her, maybe. And you send the food back. Right? In about 10 minutes, she comes back with the correct order. Clearly now not really 
in unity with you. She ain't really happy with you. And she sets it down. And it's the right order now. And she turns to the next table to do refills. And somebody at your table says, well, let's all pray and thank God for the good food. You've been there before? You see where we didn't think for a moment about responding to let her know how frustrated we were, how wrong she was, having no idea what she walked into work with that day, having no idea really what's going on in the kitchen and who may have really gotten the order wrong. But we have no problem in responding with one breath of the emotions and frustrations to help us feel better. And in the very next breath, bowing our heads as if to say, but I got the hope of Christ in me and I hope that you do too. And church, here's what I say to us. It's not just about a restaurant. But man, as I think about that, I think about the, the damage that, that we, the people of God, have done in restaurants, in retail stores, at Wally World, at the grocery store, on our social media timelines, and even in our own household, where with one breath, we've spoken, filled with emotion from our flesh to justify how we feel, and in the very next breath, have tried to breathe out the unwavering hope that we claim to have in Christ. And Peter says here, he says, that's not the strategy. That's not going to work, as he said in chapter 2 last week, to draw in the unbelieving neighbors and co-workers and people that God's put into your life. Why would they want to have what you have? And so that's why Peter says if we're going to respond with unwavering hope, it means that we respond with gentleness and respect. And Paul would further elaborate this way. Look at this verse, Colossians chapter four, verse six. He says, let your conversation, let your response be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. You may know how to respond to everyone. Often, can we just be real enough in church today to say that often, rather than make our conversation full of grace, Season with a little bit of salt. We fill our responses full of salt. Season with a little bit of grace if we feel like it. And then Peter just lays it out plain and simple. He says, if you're going to respond differently, man, there's a different mindset and heartbeat and motive that you live with because you're responding with unconditional love and unwavering hope to a world around you that desperately needs what you claim to have. Now, as we live differently, we've seen, Peter says, unconditional love, unwavering hope. But let's be real. It don't always work that way, does it? I know, some of y'all listening today, all right, join us from at home, you're going like, uh-huh, that's great preacher talk, good little 30-minute message. We're gonna write that one off at the end because you don't know what my Monday looks like, all right? You don't work at my place. You ain't lived in my house for 24 hours, right? Maybe that's how they respond in fairy tale land, but not in my land. It don't work like that. And I feel you. It's a pretty jacked up world. And there's a lot of brokenness. But if that's you and maybe that's what's running through your mind, I want to give you one more verse. This one's for you, okay? 
Keep reading. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. Here's what Peter writes. For Christ, for Jesus, also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that was him, for the unrighteous, to bring you, to bring me, put your name there, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. I believe this is what Peter was, this is what he was saying, real talk to the church there and to the church today. He says, I get it. I realize responding in all those ways I've just listed, it's not easy. I understand your situations, your relationships are difficult and heavy, but remember this. Don't forget this. If you remember one thing, remember this. There's one who's been hurt more. There's one who's been betrayed all way so much more than you and I have. There's one whose scars are so much deeper than that relationship, that situation. There's one who's gone through more in his name. His name is Jesus. Peter says your response of love and hope ultimately is not because of the goodness of those around you, but it's because of the goodness of the Savior who is in you not because of the goodness of those around you, because often they're not deserving, but it's because of the goodness of the Savior who has given all for you. He's the source of unconditional love. He's the source of unwavering hope. And can we look at what he did? He stepped into the most difficult of situations in the history of humanity, sin. For the most difficult of people, you and me and made the most difficult of choices to die for something that he didn't even do. And do you know what his response was to every single one of those? An unwavering yes. It's because of that response that we respond. And see, here's, here's the third response today. We respond ultimately in light of Christ's response. We respond in light of of Christ's response. See, after Peter has laid out these seemingly, let's be honest, like almost impossible things for us to live out, he lays them out, remember, to believers who are facing something way worse than bad customer service, (laughs) way worse than like an overbearing boss. These people were facing the decision of follow Jesus or their lives ended. But he says, the only way you'll be able to respond in obedience with unconditional love and unwavering hope is if you respond in response to what Jesus has done for you. And here's how Paul reminds us in the New Testament. Colossians 1.22 says, but now he, talking about God the Father, he's reconciled, he's saved, he's reunited, he's brought you back in by Christ's physical body through death to present you, me, holy in his sight without blemish and free from any accusation. See, if you're a sinner listening today, that's all of us then Paul says the promise of God's word is that because of the obedience of Jesus, when we surrender, commit our lives fully to him, we're no longer accused. We're no longer held under the weight of guilt and shame. And we've actually been reunited. Although we separated, we've been reunited 
with our perfect Father who created us and loved us and so longs to have a relationship with us. And when we think about the extravagance of that response to us, watch this, there is no other response but unconditional love and unwavering hope. Because hear me, if you walk out today and you try to begin to respond this afternoon, today, to your spouse, that coworker on your social media feed, in your classroom, if you try to do it on your own, just personal, uh, it ain't happening. But when you respond in light of Christ's response for you, and that's the foundation that it's built on, you then have the wisdom and the maturity and the knowledge and the love and the patience and the boldness to live and respond differently. And when we live and respond in light of Christ's response, it changes the way we respond in the everyday life. Like, watch this. It changes the way we respond in the long line at Walmart. It changes the way we respond to that overbearing boss tomorrow. Changes the way we will respond to the annoying classmate like this week in your class. It changes the way that we respond to our clients and our coworkers. It affects whether we hit post or not on that social media timeline. It changes the way we deal with the neighbors in our neighborhood. It changes the way that we respond to our spouse and our family and our kids and our parents, even when they get on our last nerve. And it changes the way we respond as the church to the world around us because we're living out a call. We're living out a call to think and to act and to respond and to live differently. Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.